Hello and welcome to Revolution 22's Sermon Podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today as we continue to learn from God's Word in the first epistle of Paul to the church in Corinth. We pray that God's Word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. Good morning, everybody. Please have a seat. Uh, I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here at Revolution 22. It's an honor for me to stand in front of you with the living word of God. So there are a few things that I realize that I find it really hard to do, that are really difficult for me to do, okay? The first thing is, it's really hard for me to prepare a meal, an Indian dish, in the dark. When there's no power, really hard to prepare an Indian dish, okay? The second thing is, it's really hard for me to, to eat with a broken jaw. And I actually tried doing that for a whole week because I didn't know my, my jaw was broken. Um, and the third thing that's really hard for me to do is to teach from this passage this morning. <laughs> All right? It's 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 40, and that's the text for this, this morning. And I, I'm so thankful that in our church, we don't skip passages. We go through the Bible. We go through entire books and, and learn from what those sections have to teach us. So this morning, we are with 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 40. And I have broken the section down into three, into three different parts. So we have section one, section two, and section three. And uh, honestly, we can have a, a whole sermon for each of these parts, but I think it's wise for us to look at this in one cohesive unit. And so this morning, I would like if you have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll have someone who can bring a copy to you, because I really want us to be in Scripture. And if you have a smart device, a phone or a tablet, that's awesome. As, that'll work as well. So I want, to, I want to begin by reading the first verse in the first section. So I call the section the how. And if you were here last Sunday, we were talking about the, the first portion of chapter 14 where we, ta- where we learn about tongues and prophecy and these gifts. And Danny Pellegrini did a wonderful job last Sunday in explaining to us what that is. So if you were not here last Sunday, I would recommend you to listen to the podcast so you, you, you kind of get caught up on what we are talking about Today, because today we're going to be dealing with how do these gifts that the Holy Spirit has for us, how does it operate, how does it look like in the body of Christ? So, in verse 26 of chapter 14 in 1 Corinthians, it begins with He says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an, an interpretation? Let all things be done for building up. And I want us to look at this verse because it's, it's important. When Paul says, what then, brothers, he's actually saying, what is the outcome then? What is the outcome then when all of you come together and when all of you want to do all these things? What is the outcome? What's the benefit of this? And he says, when you come together, right? Now, I think so often when we look at this passage, we think of this passage as, okay, for Sunday morning. When we come to church on Sunday morning, this is how we should behave. Well, no. This, is, this applies to every time we get together as believers, it could be a gospel community. It could be a men's breakfast. It could be any gathering. When we get together, these principles have to be in place. And last Sunday, we learned about how certain passages in the Bible are descriptive and certain passages are, are prescriptive. And this one is definitely prescriptive. We have to look at this very carefully to see how does this text apply to us when we get together as believers, not just Sunday morning. So it says, each one has a hymn. So imagine if all of us were singing in the worship team, right? 
I don't know. Could be that bad. It'll be kind of funny. Uh, so the, the thing is, Paul is saying that when they came together, uh, the word hymn here implies either they want, someone wanted to sing a song or they wanted to play an instrument or they, were, they wanted to, re to recite a song or read a poem. It could have been, mean a whole lot of things under this umbrella word hymn. And then he says, each one of you have a lesson. Now, this is the Greek word, word we get for the word doctrine and instruction. So he's saying that each one of you come here wanting to teach this really in-depth theology to the group that's gathered together. And how often does this happen in our gospel communities when we get together and someone goes on a tangent talking about a topic that was not part of the discussion, but it's a fun topic, and the whole crowd just follows this person on this tangent, right? That's kind of what he's talking about over here. And then each one of you have a revelation. A revelation, this is the word used to disclose truth or to make, it says, making naked. So imagine if, if everyone in the group was saying, hey, I think you're going through this. I think you're going through that. And so this, there, was, there was a lot of talk happening in revealing truths about people in their congregation in a place that was not meant to be happening. It wasn't building up the body. And then he says, each one of you have a tongue or an, an interpretation. And I, I think you should listen to the podcast last week to get more information on what do these words mean because we can spend a lot of time talking about tongues and interpretation, but I don't want to do that today, okay? So this is what I, I see. There are three observations that I get from this passage, and I think we should, we should know this. The first observation is that everyone was expected to take part and contribute during their gathering. Everyone was expected to bring something to the table with their gifts that God had given them, either before the gathering, during, or after. Each one of them had to play a part. Now, when you think about this in our group here, in our church this morning, do each one of you play a part in God's body? Or do you just come here and attend church and go home? Do each one of us play a part, an active role? Each one of us should be playing an active role using the gifts that God's given us for his kingdom. The second observation is everyone wasn't expected to be a professional in their area of service or gifting. If they were professionals, Paul wouldn't be talking about this, right? So people were making mistakes, and that's okay. It's okay to make mistakes, but everyone has to play a role. The third thing, observation, is that everyone had to pay attention to how they were exercising their gifts of the Spirit. So very often you look at the passages and think, oh my goodness, Paul is just targeting the people who are speaking in tongues, right? But no, this is for all of us. Every gift that we use for God's kingdom has to fall under these guidance, under these guidelines that is in place in Scripture for us to make sure that we are doing it in, the, in, the, in a way that's honoring God. And I like how the verse 27, it, it says, everything, let all things be done for building up. Every gift that God has given us is for the building up of his kingdom, of the body. It's not meant for you to look cool, okay? Or you to get praise for how amazing you are when you do these certain things in the body of Christ. Be it music, be it prayer, be it prophecy, be it tongues. It doesn't matter what the gift is. It's all here for us to build up the body of Christ, to contribute to the body of Christ. The second part of section 1, right, 27 through 33 I want to read this passage, and I really would encourage all of you to discuss this section in your gospel communities when you meet, okay? Because I think it's very clear as to what Paul is stating here, but I want us to pay attention to two words this morning. 
because we're going to come back to this word, actually one word mentioned twice, okay? So from verse 27 onwards, it says, If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Look at the word silent mentioned there, okay? Then it says in verse 29, it says, Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So this is the first section, all right? The how or, or the behavior. Okay, the second section is the heart and the character. This is verses 34 and 35. This is what it says. As in all the churches of the saints, this is actually verse 33, the end of verse 33, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak and should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for women to speak in church. Remember I said about how it's easy to eat with a broken jaw? Remember that? <laughs> this is what I was talking about. Okay, so I think I'm so glad that in our church, that we honor scripture, that all scripture is God breathed, right? We're not going to skip passages because it's, it's hard, because it's challenging. So I'm so thankful that we get to do this together, all right? So I, I think there are, three, there are three barriers that we have when we look at certain texts that are really hard, that are really, really difficult to understand. Why is this here? There are three barriers, and I think these barriers also have implications too. And the first barrier is attribution and authorship. So very often people can say, well, oh, scholars may say, this was not Paul's writing, and I don't think he meant that. Or we, we try to remove sections from the Bible because we don't want to believe that this was written by, by the author. The truth is, all scripture is God-breathed, right? And every word, every syllable that's in the Bible is inspired by God. And we don't have the right, we don't have the right to pick and choose what we want to learn and what we want to apply to our lives. Because if we decide to pick and choose, then, then what's left then? What's left of this book? I don't have the right to pick and choose. All that's here, all, every word here applies to my life and to all our lives over here. So we, don't pick, we believe that Paul wrote this text and that we have to look at Scripture in context as a whole and see what we can learn from this passage, okay? The second barrier and its implication is context and culture. A lot of scholars believe that this section was written primarily for the church in Corinth, for the women in the church in Corinth. That they had a lot going on, so this was written only for them. It doesn't apply to us. Okay, we are perfect, right? So that's what certain scholars, scholars believe. But the truth, the truth is, well, this is the thing. We cannot remove culture. Culture will always be something we have to look in when we look at Scripture because we cannot remove ourselves from culture, right? So there is some, some cultural relevance to this passage, but we cannot let culture dictate which part we take and which part we leave out. We got to see, in this passage, is there something about character that I should learn from? And if you think about this, though, the people in Corinth would have been, would have been equally, equally shocked at Paul's language in this letter because there were women who were very, very prominent okay, in society with all that was going on. There were athletes who were very popular in this time and age, in this, in this congregation. 
There were people who were very influential in, the, in this city. This would have been shocking to them to read what Paul is talking about here. So culture and context do play a role, but this does not mean that we cannot see what can be learned from this as, as character may show us that we can learn from. The third barrier is preconceived prejudices. Some people believe that Paul was this person who, who was um, a male chauvinist who had strong patriarchal undertones and misogyny in his writings. People have believed that, okay? And they see Paul through that lens when they look at any passage that, passage that, that has these, these texts. And I can show you a lot of examples about how Paul is not that. We see Paul praising women in the, in the church in other episodes. But I want to show you an example, a few examples from the book of 1 Corinthians. First of all, we, we see that Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 is not opposed to women praying and prophesying in the church, okay? And if you think about this, back then, they did not have a way to communicate very easily, right? There was no phone calls and emails, no FaceTime, right? So how do you think Paul got this information about what was happening in the church in Corinth? Do you know how? I'll tell you the answer. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. It's mentioned that there was a lady named Chloe, and her followers are the ones who reported to Paul what was happening in the church. Isn't that shocking? That actually a, a woman was the one who reported what was going on in the church. And the beauty of this is, is that we see that Paul respected Chloe, Paul regarded what Chloe was saying and her followers were saying. We do not know what her role was in the church, but we know for a fact that Chloe was respected by the church. They knew her. They knew who her followers were. The other side of preconceived prejudices is that, you know, this is personal. <laughs> Most times when I've had this talk with people about these topics in the Bible, with, you know, over coffee or hanging out with a bunch of friends, it very often happens that people ask me, if I have certain beliefs because of my culture, because of where I came, where I grew up, right? And I want to, to remind all of you this morning that what I say this morning from here is what all the pastors in our church believe. It's not my personal opinion, not my personal cultural influenced word. This is what we as, as the leaders of this body believe. And it's only based on what this book says and nothing else. Whether we like it or not, whether it's easy or hard, we don't get to pick and choose. It's our responsibility to share the truth that's in this book. So I want to, before I get any further, I want to, I want to pause and, and encourage all the women that are in this room, because I know this, this could be a really hard topic to listen. I want to encourage all of you to have, have an open mind, okay? Don't shut yourself off from listening to what I'm about to share. It's, it may challenge you. I pray that it will encourage you and that the Holy Spirit will work in your heart, that you'll see truth for what it is without anything else that's influencing the way you think right now. Let's dive in. So verse 34, it says, Women should keep silent in the churches. All right, so you know how in Greek there's always more than one word? to express a single word, like for the word love in English, there's more than one word, right? We all know that. It's the same thing with the word silent in the Greek language. Now, I'm not going to tell you what those Greek words are, right? They're not Greek scholars over here. But I want to tell you what these words mean and how those words are used in Scripture. Okay, for example, the first uh, 
kind of word that's used to express silence in the Greek describes a quiet condition in general, inclusive of silence. It describes a quiet condition in general, inclusive of silence. It's used about five times in the New Testament. It pretty much means hold your peace, okay? And there are a few examples for that in Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 11, and Acts 21, 13 to 14. Now, this is the verse, I think it's beautiful because this is a verse that talks about how Paul, at, at this end of his, of his life, he's going back to Jerusalem, okay? And the people, the the, his, believers, uh, his friends are saying, don't do that, man. You're gonna, you're gonna, they're going to kill you. They're going to arrest you. So this is what Paul says in Acts 21, 13 and 14. He says, then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased. This is the word used. We became silent and said, let the will of the Lord be done. All right. The second word that's used to describe silence in the New Testament. It describes the more external and physical term, denotes abstinence from speech. This is more of an external and physical term, denotes the abstinence from speech. And it's used about 10 times in the New Testament. And this pretty much means to be quiet or to, to shut up, okay? So Matthew 26, 63, this is the verse where, where Jesus is, is in front of Pilate and he's questioning him, are you the son of God? You know, and then what did Jesus do? He remained silent. This is the word that's used in that passage. Luke 18, 39 says, this is, this is the story of the, the blind beggar who hears this commotion of people walking past him. And it's Jesus he finds out. He says, yelling, son of David, have mercy on me. Remember that story? And what do the people say? The verse says, and those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. This word means shut up. It's a very harsh rebuke, okay? Now, I think so often when we see this passage in Corinthians, we think this is the word that's used, but it's not. It's not the word that's used. The third example, this is the word that's used in Corinthians. Ready for it? Okay. <laughs> I want to read to you a few verses where this word is used in a different context so you can get an idea as to what this word means, okay, before I define it. The first example is in Luke 9, verse 36. This is a story of the transfiguration, okay, where Jesus is on Mount Olives, and Peter, James, and John are there. They witness this amazing thing, and, and this voice says, this is my son, the chosen one, listen to him. This is what happens after that. It says, and when... The voice had spoken. Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. This is the same word that's used in Corinthians. The second example I want to give you, this is the story of how Paul and Barnabas return back after a mission, missionary journey, right? They come back, and they're sharing all the things that God had done with them among the Gentiles. And this is what the verse says. In Acts 15, verse 12, it says, And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. This is the same word used in Corinthians. And just, to, just so you know, this word is used nine times in total, and it's used three times in this passage alone. It's used twice 
earlier and talking about prophecy and tongues and once in the section over here. So what does it mean? This word describes a mental state or a condition and its manifestation, especially in speechlessness that comes from being in awe, being in fear, and being in joy. So Paul, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, is saying, women, see what God is doing. Be amazed. The silence comes from you seeing what, what is happening around you. And the image that comes to my mind is this whole Martha and Mary image. We can get so busy doing a lot of things and we, we may lose sight of what God is doing among us. And Paul is saying, be still. Be amazed at what's happening around you. See what God is doing. So the second part of verse 34, I want to go further, okay? It says, for they are not permitted to speak. Another hard one there, right? So as I mentioned earlier, Paul is not against women praying or prophesying in the church. We see that in 1 Corinthians 11. And, and also that the, the, there is a word used for speak in the Greek language. Very commonly used word for speak. The word is lego, like legos, L-E-G-O. And that is not the word used in this passage. The word that's used for speak is a different word. The word used is leleo, okay? It's a different word. And it's actually a prolonged form of an obsolete verb. It's a prolonged form of the word speak. Now, you might want to so what is that, right? So some people have said, well, that means chatter. It means just meaningless chatter. And it could be just people just having conversation. We don't know what this word exactly means. It means speaking, maybe. But we also know that there is a word used for, for teaching in the Bible, in the Greek, and preaching in Greek as well. And this is not the word used for those things as well. Now, if you want to know if women can preach or teach in the church, that's a whole different topic, okay? You, um, Brent's going to talk more about a class that's coming up where you can ask these questions to learn more about it. But this word is not talking about preaching, not about teaching, and not about just speaking, but it talks about something else that's beyond simple talk. And from what I get out of it, it's, it's talk that's not edifying the body. Talk that goes nowhere. You know, some scholars say that back in the day in the Corinthian church, during their gatherings, there was so much talk that people, would, it would sound like as if they were in the marketplace or as if they were in the Roman bath, the bathrooms. That's so much talk was happening in the church. Now, how often do you know, women, how often do we get caught up in these meaningless chatter that happens around us, right? How often do we, do we try to, not even try to, we just don't think about it. For example, this morning, right? We know that service starts at a certain time, and we may be late, right? It happens. It's okay. But then how often do we not think about the fact that people are singing in here, but we go on talking loudly, either in the back or in the cafe, right? How often does that happen? Do we even think about it? How often does it happen where we are in our gospel community, where the leader is saying, hey, let's get going, let's start talking, but then there's still talk happening in the kitchen. Do you see that? And I know it's not just about talking. There's, some, there's a deeper truth that goes much, much deeper than just us talking that we'll, we'll see more in Scripture. But I want you to think about how every little thing that we do either, either disrupts or builds the body of Christ. Everything counts. <laughs> the Bible says that where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in their midst. So if two of us get together, that's church. That's the body of Christ. How often have you gotten together with, with your girlfriends and what you speak is not edifying at all? The language you use, the humor, is not at all glorifying God. 
that if someone who's not a Christian even heard what you were saying, they'll be shocked with the way we talk among our Christian friends, among believers. How often does that happen? How, how is it building up? How is that building up the body of Christ? Then in, in verse 35, verse 35, it says, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. Paul doesn't quit, huh? <laughs> Gets going. <laughs> you know, there's something to say about submission that is a reoccurring theme that we, that we see in Scripture, especially when it comes to the gifts. Now, the, the whole topic of the gifts and how they are to be used in church, it begins in chapter 11. And guess what Paul talks about in chapter 11, the very beginning? He talks about man being the head of the woman. And then he goes on to this whole discussion of how these gifts are being used improperly in the church. And then he comes back to the whole submission thing. Now, culture may teach and say, may say hey, back in the day in the, early, in the early church in Corinth, women were not educated. And they, they had to, they didn't know the language, so they, the men were more educated and all this stuff could be true. But I would beg to differ that women back then were educated too because they had high positions in society. But even so, think about today, though. You know, men, usually, we marry up, right? Um, isn't that true? Most men marry up. Yeah. And, you know, even, even so, can, the, can women, can wives submit to their husbands as the leader of their family, of their house? Men, are you teaching your wives from Scripture? Do you know what this book says? Do, how often do you read it? How often are you in the Word? How often do you talk about Scripture and say, hey, this is what God's teaching me through Scripture and having this talk with your wife? If submission isn't a very clear marking of our walk with Christ, all the gifts that we want to use for the kingdom are not approved by God's Word. Submission to Christ, submission in your relationship at home and to the, to the, to the body of Christ is essential for us to use these gifts that are mentioned in the Bible. You know, I... <laughs> I don't know this answer, okay? But I really wonder, how, how many of our gospel communities are run by women because the man is not available to help lead those groups? Are men not stepping up to lead so that women have to step up and take control and lead? You know, if, if, if they want to help, that's great. But if you are not stepping up to lead your family, you are causing your wife to sin. And I think the issue, though, is that because of the fall, right? The fall, we men are always going to either be passive or we're going to try to control our wives and women are going to try to rule over the man. And unless we, 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 we talk about this and say, hey, I struggle with this. In my family, I struggle with this. I'm not a good leader. I fail as a leader. I need someone to disciple me. We cannot operate the way God wants us to operate as a body. And if the woman can say, hey, I struggle with submission, I struggle really hard to let go of control. And I, can, I can, and I can talk about it, and someone can disciple me in this journey of being what it is to be submissive. That's the way the body should look like. Which takes me to the last, the, actually the last line of verse 35. It says, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. It's pretty heavy. The word used for shameful actually is dishonor. And I want to make this clear that, that there is no hierarchy between male and female in the body of Christ, okay? That's not, that's not, a, that's not a thing at all. But there, there is, there's no way we can have unity without submission. There is no way the body of Christ can be one in honoring God without submission. 
So when it says for the shameful for a woman to speak in church, it, it actually means it is a dishonor, not just to herself or to the husband, but, but to the body of Christ. It's a dishonor to the body of Christ. When someone who's not submitted to the word is operating with the gifts that they should not be operating in. The last section, section three, is, is the hedge, okay? And that's verse 35 and 40 to 40. And it says, or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Everything we do, all our, our gifts that we want to, to, to exercise in the body of Christ, come under the scrutiny of God's word. It comes under the law of God. Every time we want to be used by God by doing the gift, with the gifts that he's given us, we should be mindful that I'll be submitted to God before doing it. I've, I've seen, I'm sure you guys have seen churches where there's no control with, with the way they operate and their gifts, right? But we have to be mindful that God is in charge and his word is what we hold on to to give us guidance in how these should be operated in the church. So this is what I want to, I want to urge you to, to pray, to think about. You know, if you are someone who has been in a church before where they were speaking in tongues and all this stuff going on, and you were part of that, and you, you maybe have a gift or two that God's given you through the Holy Spirit, are you willing to be submitted to the authority of Scripture? Because just because you've been doing it doesn't make that you are doing it right. Will you be submitted to God's word to say, I'm willing to submit to God's word and do it the way his word teaches us to do that and to practice that in a godly way? If you're someone who has never done that, you know, never ever thought about the gifts of the spirit and all those things, I want to urge you to think about the word of God that says that we ought, to, we ought to desire these gifts. It's not a scary thing, okay? If we do this in reverence to God's word and in submission, it's a beautiful thing. It edifies the body. And I want to encourage women here this morning. This is a really hard teaching. I get that. But there is something that all of us have to acknowledge is that the nature that we live in, that if you are a woman who isn't submitted to God, you struggle with that. Right? If you're single, I, I encourage you to find a godly lady that can lead you, who can, who can disciple you. If you are divorced recently, find someone who can walk this journey with you. A lady who can walk with and teach you how to be how to be submitted to God in the season that you are in right now. And if you're married and you have struggles in submitting to your husband in this relationship that God has put in place, find a lady who's godly, who's married, who can walk this journey with you. Because we cannot we cannot talk about the gifts until there's submission in your life. And I can I can sh I share examples. Of, of relationships that have fallen apart because this wasn't set in place. There was no submission to God's word and to the way God intended it to look like. This morning, we, we have the prayer room. We have people who can pray with you as well. And I, I really want to ask you to examine your hearts. So what is God teaching you this morning through his word? What does he want you to learn? We first look at the behavior. We look at the character and then the qualifier. And the qualifier is God's word. And all these gifts have to be operated in submission to, to Scripture. You know, um, I grew up in India most of my life, and 
something that's very, very unique to, uh, that I did not notice until I came here was that the most offensive thing you can do in India is when someone gives you a gift, if you open that gift right there. That's the most offensive thing you can do to the giver. Because when you do that, you're saying by your actions that this gift is now more important to me than you are. Now I'm distracted by this gift. You don't matter anymore. Thank you for the gift. You can leave if you want to leave. Thank you for the gift. <laughs> I want to play this gift right. That's kind of how we think. That's how, how it's perceived, right? And the, the next thing is that suppose the giver of the gift, right, maybe a parent or a friend, wants you to open this gift. It'll be very rude for someone to open the gift and not share that gift with anybody. Because when I don't share this gift, I'm saying that you all don't matter. This is more important to me than you are. I think that's a very good image of how the gifts are to op be operated in the church. If I can say, hey, this gift that God's given me, I am new to it, but you seem to operate in this gift in a very healthy way. I want to learn how to do that. I want to be discipled, but I want to be humble to learn through Scripture what this looks like. I would, I would love to see, hear stories of how we in our, in our gospel communities are talking about these things. Imagine how it'll look like if, if someone said, hey, this, this evening I, I really believe that God is leading me to, to, to pray in tongues. I want to risk, I want to try doing that. Can someone here interpret while I pray in tongues? And someone might say, I think I should pray, I should, I should listen to God and listen to see what he has in store as an interpretation to when you pray in tongues. And let's say you pray in tongues, okay? And this person says, that wasn't God. We're trying too hard, right? That's okay. That's okay. Or the person might say, you, I think, I believe you prayed in tongues, but I, I'm not here from God what I should say in response to what you just prayed. I don't know what that is. If that's the case, then you be silent, right? Or the person may say something that's amazing, that's from Scripture, that you would have never thought of in your own brain, in your own mind. And it unifies the body. It brings glory to God. That's what we should be doing and seeking after as a body together. You know, those of you who have been in churches that are very outspoken and practicing the gifts of the Spirit are like, yes, let's do this, right? And those of you who are not familiar with that are saying, okay, I'm not sure where this is going now, right? I want to let you know that a lot of these things that you're talking about is already happening in our church, okay? We tricked you, okay? <laughs> because the truth is, you know, I, I have seen... God do amazing things in our church. I have witnessed people being prayed for in the prayer room. When they come to the prayer room, they have no clue. The person who's praying has no idea what's going on, even the person's name even. But then as this person prays, God reveals the whole story as to what's happening in their life. And the beauty of that is that this person says, God knows, God cares, and God is with you. I know of stories where a lady has gone to one of our pastors and said, hey, I have a word that I want to share with this person across the room. I don't know who he is. Could you please come along? Because I don't want to do this wrong. I want to honor God and how I'm doing it. Could you please come along with me? And then this person shares things to this stranger, things that there's no way she would have known. And it builds, it builds the body of Christ. It builds our faith when these things happen. And God wants to do this with all of us, not just a few of us. We all over here are to play a part in this, in this body, in this fashion, with the, spirit, with, with, the, with the gifts of the Spirit. So I'm going to ask the band to come up.
And I don't know what God is doing in your heart right now. For some of you, it might be repentance. To say, I have held on to this gift that God has given me and made it an idol. I made this about me, and I want to surrender this gift at the foot of the cross. I want this gift to bring glory and honor to God alone and not to myself. Because this is all about him and not about me. For some of you, it might be that husbands, maybe you're feeling really guilty right now, convicted that you're not stepping up and leading your family well and your wife well. You have abandoned your family in your, in your heart and not, and not leading them to the scripture of God's word. I want you to repent and ask forgiveness from your wife and say, I want to I I be a godly husband. I want to lead this family the way God wants me to lead this family. If you're a wife and you struggle with submission, I pray that God will work in your heart, that God will soften your heart. And those of you who are eager to know what this looks like, to operate in the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, but you're too fearful, I pray that God will give you courage to ask because he wants to do this. He wants to work in our lives in, a, in an amazing way. We are supposed to be a, a, a naturally supernatural people. And we all play a role in it. All of us play a role in it. I encourage you to get prayer. Ask someone to pray for you. We have people in the back who can pray with you if you want someone to pray with you. And I'm praying that God will really, really work in us and challenge us to be the, the people that he wants us to be. Okay, let's pray. Dear God, we thank you because your word is alive. Your word is active. We thank you for truth that is so hard to accept. It challenges us. It makes us cringe. But we thank you that you are the one who pushes us in knowing you more through these texts, God. It's your spirit that works in our hearts. God, I pray for clarity in our spirit that we'll understand what you want from us. Pray for courage that we'll respond to you in a godly way. And in everything, God, I pray that we will glorify your son, that this place will be a, a church that glorifies you, that's unified in the spirit, that honors you with everything we do. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.